we, um, we came to Durham in, um, in the fall of 2003, yeah, fall of 2003, and uh, this is home for us, and we love Durham, and, uh, and the, uh, this is my, my favorite place to be is in Durham. And so, uh, of course, I do enjoy the beach, too. So it just, just happens to be two hours from Durham, you know. So um, anyway, I, uh, and I love this city and the opportunity that I have to be able to serve alongside of our pastor um, is, a, is a real joy. And I believe it's a calling. I believe God called me to serve alongside of Josh. And it just so happened that it took a little bit of a detour for us to get back to this point. And uh, so I'm thankful that that God knew in his timing exactly what we needed. Um, but God has, and I say that as I, as I kind of introduced the message this morning, Josh has, mentioned, has introduced it for me, uh, which I appreciate, because I, I uh, am going to jump, maybe I have, um, I have deliberately made this message to be a little bit backwards, so I'm going to start with maybe my, what I would, what I would generally, in my opinion, would make my ending, my closing, and then get into the message later on. So uh, I want to start out with giving just some uh, scripture, and then we'll get into the message this morning. The title of the message, just to maybe give you a teaser into the message, the title of the message is Changing God's Opinion of Me. And I'm, before anyone thinks that I'm a complete heretic, I don't believe that you can. Um, but I, but I, but I'm going to title the message that because that is the maybe the misnomer. And really and truly, if every one of us were honest, we probably walked in this morning believing that we could change God's opinion of us. Or maybe at the core we don't really believe that, but we do things because we think maybe it might help. We might do some good deeds or some things that we do to maybe help the fact that maybe God would bless me if I was doing this or if I did these certain things. God would think better of me as his child. And so we, our, our motives for why we do things gets to this idea of changing God's opinion of me. And if you've never wrestled with that, then maybe you are not a human being, all right? But I have wrestled with that for maybe my life, my entire life, thinking I might be able to change God's opinion of me. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2 says this as we start off. And I'm sure the verses will be on the screen, possibly. Uh, if not, I promise you I'm reading to you the Word of God. <laughs> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And Paul writes here saying the, this idea, and really I'll, I'll maybe mention this briefly at the beginning and then get into it, and I won't speak about it again later on, but, but there are, there are, there's this pendulum swing of when we become a Christian, when you, when you walk with God and you become a child of God, there is this idea of grace and following God's grace and our faith is, is what, what gets us into the family of God. We believe in faith. We get saved. And by God's grace, we're saved. And then we do all we can to, to live for God and do what we can to serve God. And then we hear somebody say, well, uh, they do it a little better than we do it. So maybe, maybe 
one particular person doesn't have a TV in their home, we think, well, th then that's the gospel truth. I shouldn't have a TV in my home. And so we, we take this swing over to, to the right and say, I'm going to do all I can to make sure I, I don't have, I'm not going to eat meat and I'm going to stay away from uh, any fat. And I'm going to, and so we start becoming a little bit kind of weird on this end, leaving out those things that, that, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're not necessarily biblical, but they are just this extreme swing to one side. And then there's the other side that says, well, look, I got saved by grace. So <laughs> the world is my playground. And I can do whatever I want to because I know that in, at the end of the day, God is a gracious God and he will forgive me of anything that I do that he doesn't approve of. So, without getting any specifics, let me just say that this is where Paul is kind of talking. He's saying, well, should we, should we continue in sin so that we can just live in this grace? He says, no. When you are a Christian, when you have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, you don't want to sin, you don't want to add to the Word of God, and you don't want to take away from the Word of God. You want to live in it and walk in it and, his, and God's truths because of the love that you have for Him. So let me get into Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 9. But God, who is, and I wish I could go back and read to you all the rest of that, but for sake of time, I won't. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, with which he loved us. It's not just a love that he possesses, but God who is love, who is rich in mercy and has great love. And, and before anyone, before we move on to this point, Paul says, that great love, by the way, which he loved you with, he loved you with, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you, are, you are, have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast and to, to quote a famous pastor because we would right <laughs> I think I've heard Josh say that many times and he preached just recently on on the idea of grace and the gospel and 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 that's really what makes up who we are what we believe at our core this God who is rich in mercy who is also has this great love we don't continue in sin anymore when we realize that great love and that wonderful mercy. I, I like to think about mercy being, being when you don't get what you do deserve. When grace is when you get what you don't deserve, unmerited favor. But mercy when you don't get what you do deserve. Because Jesus stood in my place. When death came, Jesus stood in front of death, and he died the death instead of me. That's the great mercy. And can I tell you, church, that the reason why we, we serve, 
the reason why we do what we do is, is not because we think that God will be mad at me if I don't do this or God will be pleased with me if I do this. It's because his love. It's because of his mercy. It's because of his grace why we do what we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Paul understood this and was trying to teach to that church at Corinth this understanding that we're not, we don't do it because we're afraid that God will be mad at us or that he'll be angry with us or that we won't be blessed or he won't take care of us or he won't do as David wrote in the Psalms, daily load us with benefits if I don't live a certain way or do and act a certain way. But he says here, Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. His love makes me do that. I do it because I recognize the great love that he has for me, and I am compelled. The King James word is constrained. I like that word. It grips a hold of me and pushes me forward and says, look, because he loves you so much, what other choice do I have to do with my life but to serve him? Galatians 3, 3. Are you so foolish Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Do you understand what Scripture is saying here when Paul writes? He's using this, this pretty strong language. It says, are you so foolish to think that you were saved by the Spirit that you can keep yourself sanctified by living it out through the flesh? You and I can't. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn, to earn or merit anything from a holy that we just sang about, a holy God. You, you, there's nothing. You cannot merit salvation. You cannot merit the sanctification, the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God in our lives. You can't merit that. You can't, you can't do anything to muster that. You cannot, he's saying here, if you try to work it out by your works, if you try to do it in the flesh, a work that's done by the Spirit, you have tried to dumb down and water down what only the Spirit of God can do in a person's life. Only the Spirit of God can, can do, do those works. And yet you and I try, as we might maybe to paint ourselves up and to look the part and to check all the boxes, and adding to the Word of God. When we add to the Word of God, we become legalistic. And when we take away from the word of God, we become very liberal and, and lawless. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Now, we throw that around, and we've thrown that around in our churches for a long time. As a child, I learned the unmerited favor of God. But in my practice, in my practice... 
while I can quote what grace is, unmerited favor, it rolls off my, my lips like, like I went to Sunday school all my life because I did. I learned it. I quoted all the verses. But I practiced it as if it was something that I needed to make sure and check these boxes or I wasn't going to be approved by God. Or God was going to not accept me. Church, as a, as a father, if I could take just a, a step to, to that realm, as a father, there's not one of my children that doesn't have my favor. And they don't have to do anything to earn that. And I'm human. God, the Heavenly Father, is perfect. And he's never swayed by whether or not I ran and gave him a kiss on the cheek or welcomed him home after a long day at work. Like I am. He's never swayed. He doesn't, he doesn't get all up in arms and go crazy when he sees this child not do what should do. This gracious, merciful Loving, heavenly Father put his son on a cross for me and for you. How in this world do you think that you and I could ever earn or merit his grace by making sure you attended every service? By making sure you dress a certain way. By making sure that you read this many verses or this many chapters. Or that all of the, all of the things in life you, that you've made sure, as the Pharisees would do, that you, you've made sure you've swung all over here to make sure that every, every aspect. And, I, and this morning, I'm intentionally trying to stay away from anything that's, that's specific. But can I say that if it's not found in black and white in Scripture, then, then you are adding to. We love him because he first loved us. Boy, we've sung that song a million times. We know that lyric in every song. We can say that just as we know his grace but can I tell you that when the rubber meets the road, we, his love constrains us. It compels us. It pushes us forward to serve him. That's why we do what we do. We worship not because we think he will be angry with us if we don't. Not because we think he would love us more if we did. We worship him because our hearts long to since we know what he has done for us. That's true worship. That's when you finally figured it out. That's when looking around the room and as a, as a younger person and wondering why I would see people with tears streaming down their face when they were singing, How Great Thou Art, and not understanding it. Living in my 
realm of trying to check all the boxes and 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 on on top of the water I look like the peaceful swan and underneath my feet are going like crazy trying to make sure that I can keep up. But when I realize I didn't have to do that. There's this great peace and freedom inside of the grace of God. And church, that's my story. I cannot alter the way God sees me. And neither can you. God is not more pleased with you because you're here and less pleased with those that are watching online. You, you cannot change his opinion of you. He, lo he loves you. That road, this, this side of the pendulum, trying to earn it, trying to merit it, and trying to get, to get God's favor. I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll be very transparent with you, I remember as a, as a, uh, a young, young person and even as, an, as a young adult, I would, I would try so hard. I, was, I would run a, uh, a bus route, and that, that bus route would, would go into um, inner city areas and pick up kids for church, and I would pack, try to pack that bus out and bring them in. I remember we'd have programs, and we'd have to, uh, a goal, and we'd try to fill that bus. And I remember I would, I would take the whole week, and I would fast and pray and, and think that if I fast and pray and did this and this and, and, and feel like that if, I, at any point, it was Sunday to Monday to Tuesday, and I hadn't eaten anything, and on Wednesday, maybe I, I, uh, I messed up on Wednesday and realized that when Sunday came, I didn't hit my goal, that that was the reason why, because I messed up on Wednesday. But God held that against me, and he, saw, he sees everything. And as the great supervisor, he's got his clipboard, and he's checking off and saying, see, that's, Tim, that's where you failed. That's what this is. Jesus paid it all. The songwriter had it right. All to him I owe. That's why we do what we do, because it's, it's all been paid for. When I get to heaven, it's not going to be all the things that all my sins are listed out, and, and God's going to say, let's watch a video of your life and all the things that you did, all the thoughts you had, and all the, all the sins you committed. We're going to watch that. Everybody, pay attention. This is, this is Tim's life. Church, I... Maybe I'm the only one who has this, but that's where I lived. I believed all the things I'm preaching to you, but that's where I lived. It's when the practice and the belief came together that I realized, and that's when God moved me. That's when he was able to work in my heart and life and change it dramatically.
No amount of good deeds can change God's opinion of me, and no amount of bad deeds can either. Romans 5.2 tells us we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace is the resources of heaven. So the resources of heaven, and I know I'm already past time, so we'll, maybe there'll be a part two. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There's wisdom, there's sanctification, there's love, there's peace, there's joy, there's hope. All the resources of heaven are all stored up. I think about it this way. All the things that I would ever need are all in this, this treasury of grace, in the storehouse called grace, and I need all of those things. Imagine that large treasury filled with all those heavenly resources, and then imagine outside there's a long line. And imagine there would be no doubt, it's all the things that you and I need. And so this, in this long line, you and I, we get into that line together and we're mixed and mingled all throughout there with other people. We stand in that line and, and with these countless others who believe that they will get into the treasury as, as well. And one says, we hear them talking. I've done a lot of good deeds. I know that I'll get into the treasury. Well, I've given a lot of money. I'm very wealthy and I've been a good steward all my life and I know I'll get into the treasury. Well, I dress up for church. I put on my tie. I make sure I, I, uh, am, am, I wear my dress and my, my skirt goes to my knee. Oh, well, my skirt goes to my ankles. You know, this, this is stepping over. And, and so we're charting it all off. And, and we hear them talking. And maybe there's a little bit of nervousness from us thinking, well, I never did that. I don't do that. I, I probably won't get in. I won't get all the resources of heaven. Oh, well, well, one says, I don't look or act like the world. I don't listen to their music. I don't watch their entertainment. Someone else may say, I know the Holy Scriptures. I have wisdom from the Word of God. And I know the, I know the Scriptures. I live a holy life. And we see the angels that are, in, that are guarding that treasury. And while they, they may be acting like security guards, while one comes up at one after another, and one by one they get turned away in front of us, and we're looking ahead down the line and, and trying to see why are they being turned away? Are there not enough resources? Why are people getting turned away? And we get a little closer, and now we can start to hear the angel and the conversation between those that walk up to get into the treasury and the angel acting as security guards saying they, they couldn't get in. What's being said there? And those people who we heard their testimonies about how they lived their life, the angel says, you're mistaken. This isn't God's debt repayment department. You are denied access. Romans 4, 4 tells us, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Romans 4, 16, in that same chapter later on, says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. God's so repulsed by the arrogance of one who thinks that God would owe him anything 
because of his good deeds, that he actually resists the proud. But do you know what he does? He gives grace to the humble. Then imagine this humble, old, desperate sinner is next in line. He is granted access. Of all people, why him? And the angel, hearing our thoughts in that line, turns and says, faith, faith alone unlocks that door. You mean it's not the way I'm dressed and it's not the way I, I have lived and it's not checking all the boxes, it's not all of the, the trying and trying and trying to earn God's favor and be accepted by God? No, it's faith. He's granted access to all of heaven's resources, all of heaven at his disposal, completely free to the humble sinner. I'm that humble sinner. And I have access to everything in that storehouse. The wisdom of God. His grace and love and mercy. His strength. All at my disposal. The favor of God is not earned. Trying to earn it is called legalism. Legalism is anything I do to add to my salvation. Anything that I feel like I have to do to earn the favor of God is legalism. Anything I do after salvation to merit God's favor is legalism. It is living in this life of trying and trying in my own power. And church, there is nothing you can do to change God's opinion of you. He loves you. He loves you. You can't change his opinion of you. You can't, you can't paint yourself up in a certain way for God to say, now I accept you. Oh, you were saved, yes. I did accept you into my family, but you actually can't live and sleep in my house until you do this. What parent would ever do that? to their newborn baby. And God is perfect and holy. My message will be quick. Matthew 12 is an illustration of all of this. You see it acted out. Well, I don't have I don't want to give specifics about the where we live in your story and my story. I will tell you that Jesus lived in this he came and lived inside of this. Look what Matthew 12, verse 1 says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Jesus, back to the Pharisees, have you not read? Like, almost to say, hello, duh, like, where have you been? Have you not read? 
David did, what, what David did when he was hungry, he and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And while I won't get into that a whole lot, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is rest. The Sabbath day was for rest. And Jesus says, no, 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 come unto me, all you that labor. He's talking to a, a, an oppressed group of people, the Jews who had been oppressed by the law. He says, come unto me, all you that labor, all of you that are laboring, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my burden is easy. He's saying to them, this, this over here, you're working and working, but I am your rest. And we don't, we don't observe the Sabbath, the seventh day, as, a, as necessarily as a day of rest. We meet on Sundays now. Jesus is our rest. We rest in him. Number one, let me say, legalism constantly condemns of sin. And that's what it was intended to do. The law of the Old Testament was intended that the law was to teach me that I was a sinner and I could never measure up. The law of God was, a, was my schoolmaster, Paul called it. It was teaching me. It was showing me by design that the law of God, I could not measure up to the law. I would never be good enough to measure up to the law. Legalism constantly condemns of sin. Jesus, in this illustration, the disciples going through the grain fields on the Sabbath day, what the law said in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the, the, the law was, was very clear. 23 verse 24 says, When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, where the grapes are, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. That's simple enough. On the Sabbath day, you can walk through your neighbor's vineyard, and you can pick some grapes to your filled, but you can't put them into a basket and carry them home and put them in your storehouse. That's pretty simple. It continued and said, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, where the disciples were, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle or your neighbor's stand, for, your, for your neighbor's standing grain. You can't take and start chopping it down and bundling it up and carrying it home with you to dry out. The Pharisees came, and some even believe that when the Pharisees came to accuse them of, of working on the Sabbath day, well, look at them, they're plucking grains off, they're, they're harvesting the grain, is what they're accusing them of. They, they go a little further, and, and some believe that they were even saying that when they put them in their teeth and chewed them, that they were grinding the meal on the Sabbath day. 
It's comical. And yet anyone who has lived over here can place something else other than grain in place of that. Adding to the law. The Pharisees had added to the law. Now they're saying you can't pick grain. You can't pull anything off of the, the, you can't pull the heads off. While the law said that they could. But they had added to the law. Legalism. Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That here legalism is, constantly condemns of sin. That's the law. And while that was what the law was for, we now have grace. Legalism, number two, must be countered with Scripture. When the, when the Pharisees came and accused them of doing wrong on the Sabbath day, Jesus said, haven't you heard how David, I won't go into it again, David, when he was fleeing from Saul with his men... David and his merry men running from Saul, from cave to cave. They come to the, the high priest at the time, and they, they're famished. And you know what the high priest does? Come inside of the holy place, and I will give you the food that is only meant for the priest, the showbread. And you can eat that so your men won't starve to death. You know what we find here? Jesus, when he's talking, he's referencing that. He's not condemning that. You understand that? He, Jesus is using it as an illustration saying, don't you understand that the law is the law, but it's not more important than people? You're driving down Guest Road. They finally increased the speed limit just a little bit. You're driving down Guest Road, and you're on your way to work, and you're late, and you get pulled over for speeding. You get a ticket. You're on guest road, and you're going over the speed limit, rushing your child to the emergency room at Duke. Did you break the law? You know what usually happens? The police escort gets in front of you and gets you there when there's an emergency. I could be corrected. There's police officers in the room. Correct me afterwards if you don't mind. Actually, we may need to be schooled in the law. But Jesus is not condemning David for, for having eaten the showbread. He is making sure it's understood that people are more important than the law. 1 Timothy 1.8 says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if it's used lawfully, but not when you add to the law. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate and the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers or fathers and murderers of, of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The law is good when it's used lawfully, but it wasn't intended for the righteous person. It was intended for the unrighteous. 
Legalism controls through dishonest leadership. I'm going to reference only scripture. Galatians 6.13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. He's referring to the leadership in the church. Those that are the leaders that are living by the law, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they, like hypocrites, desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 2 Corinthians also speaks to this, these false teachers that are in the church at Corinth and the, this abusive leadership. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one goes into your bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. You're putting up with it. You're saying this this. You're, you're allowing them to do this. Paul's referencing saying they're false teachers and it's an abusive leadership to keep you under the bondage of the law or to add to the law. Legalism is conquered only by the Savior. May I say this? The only cure for legalism is the gospel. When Jesus came, here's what he did. He filled full the law. He fulfilled it. He made it to where it was now complete. He fulfilled the law. Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins, he now became the payment for all sins. For by grace are you saved. Jesus says to them, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had not known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What the law could not do, Jesus did. The law could never make one holy. You and I will never, no matter how hard we try and try, we will never measure up to the law. You will never do it. You will be on this rat race all the time of trying to increase your standards or make your standards better than so-and-so's or make sure that you lived a, a holier life and a holier life and, and, and how holy can it be and you, you rule out all the things, these opinions that we have. Over here, we're saying things like, like, I, I long for the good old days and the old-time religion. What was the old-time religion? Which old-time religion are you talking about? The old-time religion of the brush arbor or the old-time religion of uh, camp meetings or the old-time religion of hymns or the old-time religion of monks and monasteries or the old-time religion of David in the field with his harp. Which one do you want? Which, which era is the most important era? Which is the one we want to mimic all the time? Which era is the, most, the, the one that's closest to God? When Jesus came, do you know what he wore? A three-piece suit. Everyone knows that. He wore a tie on Sunday. 
folks, all I'm trying to say is you see the ridiculousness of what legalism and tradition does. But Jesus came. Romans 8, 3 and 4 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. This, this strong law, it cost people their lives. Living under the law and the bondage of the law, it cost people their lives. You go back in the Old Testament and read through Leviticus. You find out what all the laws were. If your axe flies off your, off your, uh, the handle and knocks somebody that's working with you in the head and they die, run for your life because the family can come and get you unless you're inside of a city of refuge. <laughs> that was the law. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Jesus changed all that. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. The church rejoiced. The church rejoices. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. We don't walk in the flesh. We don't walk in the flesh. We walk in the Spirit. The law has never made anybody holy. but Jesus has. I'll conclude and say this, those resources in that treasury of grace, the angel replies to the old sinner, these resources are not actually free. They were paid for by one named Jesus. And faith is the only way to receive them. I'll finish with this last statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That will never do. That will never do. faith alone. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.